I will never listen to that tune the same way again. <laughs> Amen. I, I like our words far, far better. <laughs> Who needs mistletoe when you have Jesus? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Luke chapter 2. It's where we find ourselves this Christmas morning, a familiar text of Scripture. And um, we trust that it'll minister meaningfully to your heart on this day. Celebrate the coming of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, into this human history. Luke 2, verse 8 and following. Let me read these verses, set them afresh in our mind, then we will begin to talk about them, exposit them. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, from cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The subject uh, for these uh, verses, uh, I've chosen this, the good news of Christmas. Five days ago, I was in a, a local store, a crowded store, uh, standing in a line. All the lines were full, barely could get around. A lady in a large cart, uh, a basket, she comes with a large amount of groceries in it. And she came in to my line. This woman was a Christian woman. She's been a critical care nurse for 20 decades. Uh, 20 years, rather, not decades. <laughs> that, that, I, I had been shocked to talk to her if she had <laughs> She told me that she sensed a difference in the deaths of believers in Christ and those who are unsaved. I asked her to elaborate about the latter group she couldn't as she began she had to stop and she said I'll begin to tear up as she recalled the way the unsaved died for she had seen many many people over you can imagine two decades leave this life dying without salvation is the worst case scenario for any human being it is the ultimate bad news. It's the opposite end of the spectrum spiritually and eternally of those who die in Christ. Hence, the good news of great joy that's referred to in verse 10 of our text. God has provided a remedy for man's greatest problem. And his greatest problem is his alienation from his creator, because of his rebellion, because of his sins, his iniquity. 
his stony heart, his stubborn will. The remedy's arrival is made known in our text. It's what we've been celebrating here this morning, the coming of God's divine remedy for man's greatest problem, his sin. And we see here uh, the recipients of the good news. We see that here as our first heading, beginning in verse 8, in the same region. Just a few miles from Bethlehem, where Jesus had been born, there were some shepherds. They were engaged in their nightly routine. Shepherds, you need to know, were near the bottom of the social hierarchy in Israel. They were uneducated. They were unskilled. In fact, their occupation precluded them from joining in synagogue worship. They were even considered unclean ceremonially. However, these shepherds were selected by God to hear about the birth of Jesus Christ. They were selected by him to receive the good news. This suggests that they were devout men who believed in the true and living God of Israel. They, no doubt, I I believe they they knew uh, the prophetic scriptures. They understood that the Old Testament taught about a, a Messiah that was to come. Like Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and the long-widowed Anna, in Luke 2, verse 38. Both of these saints, Old Testament saints, as we call them, Simeon and Anna, were looking for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, respectively. They were looking for those two things that would be embodied in the one who is Messiah. They were looking to the coming of the anointed one. Further evidence, I believe, of the true faith of these men, these shepherds, was that when they received the angel's message, they, you read later on in the text, they went to Bethlehem. Contrast what they did, the shepherds later, with the lowly, humble-believing shepherds with contrast them with the religious leaders in Jerusalem who knew where Christ was to be born. Remember Herod asked them where is the Messiah to be born and they knew the text Micah 5 too. You see that in Matthew chapter 2 verses 4 and 6. But they did not go to see him. The Magi did and the shepherds did. They had genuine faith. They believed the word of God, and it was evidenced by their actions. Verse 9, their nightly routine was dramatically interrupted by the sudden appearance of the angel. You see it there? An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. This angel, this supernatural being, just out of nowhere, shows up on this dark night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord, what is it? 
It is often depicted in Scripture as brilliant light. At his transfiguration, you may recall, as it's given in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, Jesus manifested his glory. His face shone like the sun. His clothing became exceedingly white. In John's prophetic vision of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, 23, he writes, The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it. In other words, when we're in eternity in the New Jerusalem, there will be no need for the physical light sources. For God himself will be there and his own glory, which is seen as light, will lighten, illuminate all of New Jerusalem. In fact, all of the new creation. So the glory of God is manifested as brilliant light. The glory of the Lord was manifested in the presence of God. When he showed up like that, that meant he was present. That's what this text means. The glory of the Lord shone around them. That means that he was present in a manifest manner. Now, you need to understand something. Because he is omnipresent, he is always present. But he isn't always manifested as so. Now, you think about this. It's a dark night. You're on the job. It's routine for you. you. You've done this as a shepherd many, many times. And an angel shows up. I mean, that's not something that happens every day. And the glory of the Lord is shining. Dispelling the darkness. All this is sudden. And you see at the bottom of verse 9, and they were terribly frightened. You would be too. No advance notice, an angel shows up. No advance notice, and the glory of the Lord is brilliantly shining. And the angel said in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. They didn't know why he had shown up. They don't know if he was coming to judge. He had to calm their fears. And he says, don't be afraid. And in fact, the Greek text is, stop being afraid. There's no need to fear. And explains why in verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I bring you good news. Those five words renders the Greek euangelizo. It means to proclaim good news. To proclaim the gospel. He says, I'm coming to give you good news. I'm coming to give you the gospel. The good news is that God has sent Jesus not to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him John 4 verse 42 says he is the savior of the world 
That's good news. We're in a desperate plight. We couldn't extricate ourselves from our sin. We could not bridge the gap that separated us and God because of our sin. There was nothing we could do. We couldn't save ourselves. We, we couldn't do like the, the football player who is injured. And while they're being, he's being attended to, they cut to a commercial break. And they come back and they show him going off the field and they say, he left under his own power. We were injured by sin. But we couldn't get up under our own power. We had no power. God had to fix the situation. He had to initiate the saving work in order to redeem us. He had to send the Savior of the world into the world. Now the word world there in John 4, 42 is a general term for humanity. The, the general humanity meaning that not everybody is going to be delivered because not everybody will believe the gospel. There's some people who will say, no, they'll be adamant. they say, no, 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 I don't want it. I, I love my sin. I, I love what I do. I don't want Jesus. I'm all right. So the world doesn't mean the whole world. Everybody in the world is going to be saved. Only those who will trust God's remedy. And the reality is that Jesus Christ entered the world to save his people from their sins. That's the reality. That's what people in the world don't want to talk about. Haven't you noticed that? They don't want to talk about the dark side of Christmas. They just want Cyber Monday. They just want Black Friday. They just want those deals. They do not understand the really the problem. The real reason is there is sin and God had to address our sin and their sin. And they ignore that and they go off and they have their Christmas parties and they do those things that they seek to have some fun. Overlooking the reality of Christmas and its meaning the good news now notice something else the angel says this good news is accompanied with great joy great joy the joy belongs to those who experience salvation and have their sins forgiven that's what the joy is such people's joy then stems from the reality that now and for all eternity, all is right. Do you not know that's what joy is? Some people think joy is circumstantially based. Well, you can have some fleeting happiness, but real joy is knowing that I am right with God. My sins have been addressed. I will no longer have to give an account for them. I will not have to worry about being separated from him eternally. That's real joy. That's the good news. That's why it's called the good news of great joy. 
That's why, no matter what's going on in your life, that's why Paul could write in Philippians, he told him, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say just rejoice. He said rejoice in the Lord because our relationship with him is from whence we get the circumstance that we're in, a right relationship with him, and we can have joy, right? And it says here further, bottom of the verse, which will be for all people. All people. This refers to Jews and Gentiles. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Jesus came to save those who would believe him. Doesn't matter where you come from Madagascar or Buffalo, New York. If you believe in, you can have this good news that comes with great joy. Now he explicates this good news. He uses a word that helps us understand. It's an explanation. Verse 11. For today, I guess this is the first Christmas in the city of David. Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior. Now, let's stop here. Let's isolate that word, born. Talk about it for a moment. Born is indicative of Jesus' humanity. He became one of us, with exceptions of his conception in Mary's womb, which was without a man being involved at all. Another way is not like us. He is totally, completely without sin. Jesus being born, we speak of it as the incarnation. When we say he became a man, it's who we're talking about, the incarnation. The incarnation refers to the whole concept of God manifesting himself in human flesh. The whole idea that God, the eternal God, had become one of us. He became even a baby. The Bible says he was born in the likeness of men. And found an appearance as a man. Philippians chapter 2, 7b and verse 8. In that Philippians passage, the word likeness means to take on in all the essential attributes of humanity. He was like us in every way that we are, with the exception there was no sin in him. He was born under the law so that he might redeem those under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 tell us. He came born of the law. He was obligated during his lifetime on this planet to obey God's law perfectly. And he did that. Therefore, he is qualified to go to the cross to deliver us from the curse of the law. And with that being done, then we can receive the adoption of sons. Do understand that we born as we were naturally, we were not the children of God, right? We're the children of Satan. But because of what Jesus Christ did, he has made it possible for God to adopt us into his family. 
adoption as sons. We're now the children of God. The curse of the law no longer rests on us because Jesus addressed it for us. We're now in God's family because Jesus addressed that for us. He was born that he might die. He's the only person who ever was born with the express purpose of dying. We, we were born and we're going to die he was born so he could die. And he was born to die so that, as Hebrews says, quote, taste death for everyone. He was born so that he, by dying, could experience death for everyone. Everyone meaning all who would believe. And to destroy the devil and free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. He died to free us, destroy the devil and his works, and free us from the fear of death and its spiritual slavery. Oh, that's why he came to die. A Savior. Two other titles are used here Christ and Lord. These titles are applied to him by God. Do understand that the angel who is giving this message didn't invent it. The word angel, by the way, means messenger. Angels, what they do, they stand in the presence of Almighty God, like Gabriel says in Luke chapter 1, and God gives them a message, a task, and they go and fulfill it. And this angel is telling the message. So these are God the Father's words through the angel communicating to the shepherds who Jesus is. Number one, he is Savior. We have a deliverer, a rescuer from sin. He is the only Savior. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. A Savior, he had to be, be, be born, he had to be one of us. Note this, he is the God-man. You see, he had to be both God and man to be our Savior. To be both. Why? Let's explain it. Only God can pay the eternal penalty for our sins. Only God had the power to pay the eternal penalty of our sins. You say, well, people are being held paying for their sins, but they never pay it off. They pay their debt forever. But they never get a paid in full receipt from God. They're in hell forever because the debt is never paid. But what Jesus did as God on the cross, he could pay the sin debt in full. He could pay it off and it could be marked paid in full. So it had to be God to do that. So only God could pay the eternal penalty. But he also had to be a man. To be our representative. Stand in our stead. To be our substitute. He had to be one of us. So in the genius of redemption. 
God becomes a man to address our sin. That was what happened when Mary gave birth to Jesus. It's God, man. It would accomplish his great work. Christ. This is an exalted title. The Old Testament's Messiah. It means the anointed one. One placed in high office and worthy of honor and exaltation. Jesus, by the way, has three offices. Three official functions. He's anointed by God as king. He's King Jesus. He is the high priest. He is the prophet. These three official functions, these offices, are held by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is king. That is, he rules over his subjects. As high priest, he represents us before God. As prophet, he proclaims to us divine truth. This is our divine Messiah, Christ. The next one is Lord. Kyrios, the Greek term. When used of Jesus, it implies all that four little Greek, or excuse me, Hebrew letters imp- uh, teach. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, those four letters, tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, we pronounce it Yahweh. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is translated as kurios. Jesus is kurios. When we talk about Yahweh, we're talking about Jesus as well. His full deity. Christians rightly confess that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. That he is the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. That we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. That to be saved, one must confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus himself declares that he is deity. He claims the titles that only belong to God. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That is language that's spoken by any other person is blasphemy. Spoken by Jesus, he is just telling the truth. When he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of uh, the Greek alphabet. He starts it all, ends it all, he's everything in between. Alpha and Omega, in the beginning. He is the source of all things. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ claims here in that text that I just read to be the source of all things. That's a profound claim to his 
deity. But in that text, Revelation 22, 13, there are these words, and the end. He is the goal of all things. Did you not know that? The whole goal of everything is Jesus Christ. It's to be summed up in him. He is to rule over it all. He is to be praised from all beings. It's all about him. He started it all, and it, when it's all said and done, it's going to be for his glory, his glory, his praise. Guess who was in that manger? When we read Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That applies to Jesus Christ. It applies to the Father, it applies to the Son, it applies to the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, distinct persons. One God, eternally co-equal. Eternally co-equal. That's who we're talking about. And God calls him that. The angel lays all that out. That's the theology of it. It's theology. Then, kind of more mundane, <laughs> we leave those heights of theology, we drop down to verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. How will we know he, who he is? Because you've got to remember, everybody saw Jesus. They just saw a little baby. He didn't have a halo. Light wasn't emanating from his body. He was a little Jewish baby. Just like every other Jewish baby. How are you going to know who he is? Well, you'll find him wrapped in cloths. What they, what they did, they, uh, every baby, Jewish mother would do this, they strips of cloth and they would wrap that child up. The translation read by Dr. Cooper earlier, tightly. They did that to give the baby a sense of security and warmth. King James called swaddling <laughs> cloths. But since every Jewish baby probably had that, oh, what would distinguish him? Well, he'd be, he'd be in a manger. It's a unique cradle, isn't it? Lying in a manger. A feeding trough for animals. Think about this for a moment. Jesus stepped out of heaven as it were from his place in exalted glory and praise his divine attributes a full display of the angelic host they knew who he was they'd bow down to him and worship him he willingly was conceived in the womb of one of his creatures And then when he was born, he was placed in a feeding trough. Think about it from glory to a feeding trough. That's going down 
way down. It's not all. He even went to die on a cross. That's not all. And they laid him in a borrowed tomb. He did all that to secure our salvation. So the shepherds recipients of the good news. I skipped this one, the revelation of good news. That's the second point. You can write it down now if you want to. The third was this, praising God for the good news. Verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. I don't know how many angels there are, but there are a bunch of them. And because there's a multitude of them. Revelation talks about them being myriad of angels. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of holy angels. And suddenly they appear. And they're praising God. Why would they do that? I'm going to tell you why. The angels know of man's sin and they know of God's plan to save sinful men. They rejoice over the salvation of sinners. Remember Luke chapter um, 15, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I believe the angels are involved in that joy because they see God's plan unfolding before their very eyes. These angels who, who are here praising God, that they saw Jesus in heaven in his pre-incarnate glory as the second person of the Trinity. Now they see him as the God-man who has come to redeem sinners. They see the unfolding of his redemptive plan. And what do they do? Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Highest. That means heaven. They recognize his glory on display. His power, his grace, virgin born son, the God man, grace to come to save sinners. Notice something. Glory to God. I want to help you for a moment. The whole point of our existence is for the glory of God. If you want to know why there is and is, for the glory of God. God's attributes are on display in the created order. They're on display in salvation. It's all for his glory. Angels recognize. You want to know what gives meaning to your life? The glory of God. Living for his glory. His glory uh, is seen in his grace. Ephesians 1, 6 says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Ephesians 1, 12, to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 14, to the 
praise of his glory. Your salvation, mine, is to the praise of his glory. That's what it's about. Next thing here in the text, it says, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. This does not mean that he gives salvation to those who please him by good works. He doesn't. No one can be saved by good works. Good works don't please God. works apart from salvation. Good works are subsequent to salvation. Good works are the fruit, not the root of salvation. Peace. Peace is salvation peace. The peace between God and man. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you at that very moment enter into a relationship of peace between you and God. Before that, you were at war with him. You were hostile toward him in mind and deed. You hated him, but now there is peace. And that peace is a gracious gift. You couldn't secure it. You couldn't sue for it. You couldn't do anything to get that peace. God had to initiate it and grant it. And he gives it to whomever he wills because he is God. He can do with his salvation what he chooses. If you're a Christian this morning, he was pleased to grant you salvation. You say, why did he do that? Because he wanted to. The kind intention, as Ephesians 1 says, of his will. The reality here is that Jesus Christ impacts every human being that ever has lived or will live. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon, who had waited temple to see Christ's child, he was alerted by the Holy Spirit about him. And Simeon had some words to say to our Lord's mother. Verse 34, Luke 2, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary and his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Let's stop there at the comma. Let me just say this. Jesus is destined to be the determiner of people's destiny. think about that he is the determiner of people's destiny every single person's destiny some Gentiles will be saved some Jews would stumble over him and fall into judgment that's what the fall means fall into judgment because they will reject him they'll say no to him there will be the rise of many in Israel those are the ones who will trust him they will rise ultimately to heaven with eternal life Jesus Christ stands over history and all men he is the determiner of men's destiny 
by what they do with him. Whether they say yes or no. No one escapes him. You can ignore him, but you will never escape him. If you've trusted him, you love him. And you thank him for setting you free. Really, what we've been talking about is the good news of Christmas, haven't we? That's really what it's about. It's about sin. It's about salvation. It's about eternal destiny. If a person misses the reality of Christmas as outlined in Scripture, they have no idea what the season's about. Let's pause and pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for uh, the Word of God and its uh, truths delineating for us the significance of the holiday, which is so uh, covered over by insignificance, triviality, commercialism, all the useless things. Thank you for your truth that shines clearly in a dark world to bring home to our hearts what you were doing that first Christmas and what you're doing now even as you save sinners. We thank you for the good news of Christmas, the gospel. Pray that those who are here this morning without the Savior, that you bring them to yourself. Pray for the saints that we will feast on these truths, meditate on them, and our hearts will be filled with greater praise and thanksgiving as we live in light, the light of eternity, in our relationship with you. These things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.